There are now officially 8 billion people on planet Earth. 8 billion. I think the the 8 billionth person was born in the Philippines, if I remember correctly, reading that. Uh, There are 8 billion now. We can stop saying the 7 billion. We have to say the 8 billion. And there is not a single one of them. Not one of them that I trust more than Kirk Cousins at 11 a.m. on a Sunday afternoon. Okay? Not in the prime time. I will. Ne- I do not trust Kirk Cousins on a Monday night football or a Sunday night football game or even a Thursday night football game. But there is nobody I trust more at 11 a.m. our time, 1 p.m. Eastern, than Kirk Cousins. There's not one. There's no one I trust. I, the guy. I don't get it. The guy just shows up at 11 a.m. But God forbid it's 4:25 or 6:20 p.m. our time because then it and then it completely falls apart. 11 a.m. though, there's like a window from about 11 a.m. to about 4 p.m. In the afternoon, where Kirk Cousins is just the best quarterback in the history of the league. And I'm like, wow, that's my quarterback. And then I'll go watch him on a Sunday night football game. And I'm like, what are we doing? Why are we paying this guy fully guaranteed money? I'm saying we because I'm a Vikings fan, if you're not aware. Uh, why, are, why are the Vikings paying this guy fully guaranteed money? That That's, you know, the constant struggle that I'm going through. And that game did not help on Sunday. I was like, uh Fire everyone, fire everyone, and then we come back, they come back and, and tie the game, and I'm like, this is the greatest game in the history of our team, and you know, it was awesome, it was a great game. Uh, we're going to get more into that game. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. I'm your host, James Timberlake. Uh, make sure to rate and follow the show, if you would not mind, it'd be a big, greatly appreciated, I'd very much appreciate that. Uh, get me into the more trending section of the Spotify's of the Apple Podcasts or the Google Podcasts. Speaking of that, you can listen to the show wherever you feel like listening to it on those Spotify on the Spotify app, on Apple Podcasts, wherever. Uh, make sure you go check those out as well, and then leave me a rating and follow the show. I would appreciate that. If not, we post every Tuesday afternoon at about five p.m., five to six p.m. Usually the sweet spot we like to hit. So every every Tuesday afternoon between five and six p.m. And uh, any newcomers, welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. I'm your host, James Timberlake. Let's just get straight into it. we got a couple things we're going to talk about today. Uh, NFL, obviously, big week. I think it was week 10. Is that right? Week 10 in the NFL, big week. Uh, and then uh, and then we're going to get into some... Get ready for this. It's World Cup time. It is World Cup time, ladies and gentlemen. When every so-called soccer fan comes fleeing back in, in, in droves to come watch soccer, there's nothing like the World Cup in any other sport, to be honest with you, in my opinion, uh, than the World Cup in soccer. It is it is truly a time to be excited. It's super fun to watch. And uh, we're going to see what the U.S. can finally do, what they can dig out. So that they didn't make the World Cup four years ago. They were not able to qualify for the World Cup four years ago. They basically gutted the team that was leading them there. And we have a whole new fresh breed of youngins going in to the World Cup this year in Qatar. And that is, uh, I think their first game is on... It's either Sunday or Tuesday. I don't remember off the top of my head. I believe it's Sunday. No, it's Tuesday. It is Tuesday. They play Iran in the first game of the world, in their first uh, game of their group stage. They're in Group B with England, Iran, and Wales. And uh, their first game is against Iran on Tuesday. And uh, we'll see what the U.S. can do. I don't know. Uh, We're going to get into it. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. We're going to talk about the NFL first. So let's start with the NFL. Big Week 10 in the NFL. It was Week 10, not Week 9. Week 10 in the NFL. We had a game in Deutschland over in Germany, across the pond, super far across the pond, not in England, but in Deutschland. And uh, it was actually a pretty good game. Bucks over the Seahawks. The, the Bucks won that game. Thanks to 
pretty decent, a pretty decent offensive showing, better than what we've seen in recent weeks from uh, from the Bucks. And then their defense obviously showed out. They were solid as well, holding uh, I would say perennial MVP candidate candidate Geno Smith. Can't believe I'm saying that uh, to a less than stellar game. And uh, they, you know, they they held it out there. There was one thing that was fantastic to take away from this game. One, uh, maybe two things. One, Germany, great crowd. They looked like they were having a blast. Welcome to professional U.S. football. That's kind of the welcome to it, Munich. You're going to you're never going to get enough of it now. Welcome to the NFL. Uh, I, I hope I mean, they never will. I think there are uh, numerous candidates for a overseas team or expansion or what have you. And I think Munich can be thrown into that just by the sheer mass of the crowd that they had. Obviously they're playing in a, in a pretty, you know, full size stadium and in Bayern Munich stadium, because Bayern Munich's a professional football team, football team over there. And uh, I mean, one of the best football teams in all of Europe. So obviously they can draw a crowd like that. And the NFL did a good job. They drew in a pretty decent crowd. The fans looked like they were having a blast. They were singing American songs that were a lot of fun. And, you know, you know, it was a good time. They were, they were, they were slinging out all the American food and stuff, the American beers. It was good. I, I mean, I, I would not be surprised if that all of a sudden becomes a more vi. I mean, it's not more viable because obviously the time difference is even worse than if you go over to England or something like that. But I think that's maybe somewhere you could put on the. They want to make it a world game, if you will, like the like basketball has kind of become a world game, if you will. Um, and I think you can kind of put a little, a little, a little pin on the map for Munich as a possible location because clearly. They enjoyed it. Uh, the NFL, the players enjoyed it. Tom Brady said, I think after in the press conference, he said that was one of his favorite uh, football experiences that he can remember. So, I mean, if the support's there, then why not throw a pin on the map and have that as one of the possible places? I think that'd be cool. I think Munich, a Munich team would be super cool. And as, as the more they expand uh, the NFL, as they're trying to do into Mexico City, into England, you know, what have you, into Germany, possibly. I think uh, more of those pins can be thrown across the world into different parts of them, into different parts of the, uh, the the globe. So it'll be interesting to see. I think I think Munich made enough of noise, if you will. I mean, literally and uh, metaphorically, that uh, I think I think it's worth taking a look at, especially if you're the NFL and maybe, maybe possibly moving there as well. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. We, I mean, I feels like they've been talking about NFL expansion teams and stuff like that forever. Like ever since they started going back to England, I feel like they've been talking about that ever since. So I, I don't know how much to logistically, how, you know, how well it flashes out logistically, if they can actually do that, but I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. We'll see. I mean, I, I, I would like to see that. I think it would be cool to see the NFL kind of expand itself into a more world game like, uh, I mean, I guess it would really be the only thing in American sports that does that, that would do that um, in, in terms of having one uh, solid concrete franchise in a international location from where, you know, the headquarters are, quote unquote, other than, uh, you know, the NBA has Canada, obviously, but I'm thinking more overseas in that sense. Um so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I think Munich does have a chance to to possibly if they if they would want one, if it was funded properly, if they could figure out the time differences and stuff like that, how to how to manage the time differences and things. I, I think it's I think it's possible. I think they could do it. And now those are big ifs. Obviously, those are a lot. Of, I mean, you can't really change time uh, unless we you know find a way to create faster planes or something like that. Then I guess it's possible. So lots of big ifs, but. I think they've they've uh, made themselves known. I think Munich has made themselves known as a possible location that the NFL would like to maybe expand to. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, Lions, they beat the Bears. That was actually a more entertaining game than I thought it was going to be. Lions can't defend anybody, and the Bears can't defend anybody, and it kind of showed. Uh, Justin Fields, that dude is 
an animal. He is absolutely terrifying. I, I do not want to play him. I mean, the Bears are going to make the playoffs, but eventually when they do make the playoffs, that is a quarterback that I do not want to play against. Uh, Justin Fields, the guy can run. I, I heard, I think, I, I think I said this last week, but Ryan Clark, if I didn't say this last week, uh, Ryan Clark, he was on ESPN, one of the, I, I don't remember what I think it was like, get up or something like that. And he said that, that um, Justin Fields is up there with, Lamar Jackson in terms of athleticism and everybody kind of laughed it off, you know, kind of gave him the puppas, if you will. But uh, I, I mean, I think he's right. If not more athletic than Lamar Jackson in terms of, I mean, he's so fast. I think he's faster than Lamar Jackson, to be honest with you, but he is, he's got, I think I read somewhere he got up to uh, 20 miles an hour in the last few weeks, like six times when he was running the football. That is so absurd to have that ability as a quarterback. We see it with Lamar Jackson. I mean, he won an MVP with that ability. And if Justin Fields can refine the same way that Lamar Jackson has had to refine his passing ability, if Justin Fields can refine his passing ability a little bit more, if they can become a better passer, he's not going to be the West Coast offense quarterback that they kind of always wanted him to be. That's never going to happen, I don't think. But if you can kind of revi- you know, refine it into a way where you can do both the same way that the Ravens have done with Lamar Jackson, then, I mean, that's a very scary quarterback that I don't think anybody wants to play against. Uh, that is something that is so hard to defend against. I can't, you're not asking one of your linebackers or linemen to spy against a guy like Justin Fields because he's just going to, he's going to outmaneuver those guys. Like it's almost impossible to defend against something like that and, you know, defend against over the top, against receivers over the top and stuff like that. So if they can figure out a way to build a better offensive scheme around Justin Fields, get some more talent around him. Uh, that is a uh, that is that's going to be a scary team, and I would not want to play them. Their defense has to get better too. Obviously, I mean it wasn't too far too too long ago where that defense on the Bears basically carried them to a playoff a uh, playoff appearance, and then you know lost to the the Eagles in that uh, in that wild card game. I think it was was off the double doink, and uh, and that that wasn't too long ago. Obviously, a lot of those guys have left, but you know I it's pretty evident you can build a defense rather quickly in this league and uh, an effective defense rather quickly in this league. So uh, that was crazy to watch. Justin Fields is a treat to watch on Sunday. And for the Lions, the Bears didn't even win. Moving over to the Lions, Dan Campbell, man, Campbell. This was actually a stat that kind of blew me away, to be honest with you, even though the, the Lions have not been good since Dan Campbell has been there, obviously, and they're just not a very good team overall right now. There are signs. I'll say that. there. I mean, there are some very tiny inklings of signs that they could be a decent team. I don't think Jared Goff is the answer at quarterback by any means. You have Amon Ross St. Brown, who's a very solid wide receiver. DeAndre Swift looks like he's going to be a very solid running back for a long time. They have Aiden Hutchinson, who's a fantastic defensive end. He should be for a very long time as well. I think there are signs for the Lions, okay? Lions fans? Don't get your hopes too far up just because, you know, I it doesn't really work out for you guys in the long run, as history has shown. But there are signs, okay? There are signs of possibly being decent in a, in a couple years, maybe. I, I don't think, as long as you have Jared Goff, I think this is probably going to be, as long, as long as they have Jared Goff, I think this is probably going to be the fate for them, as long as he is there, to be honest with you. I don't think he is the guy, obviously. I mean, I don't think he's the answer at quarterback for the Lions. I don't think they think he's the answer at quarterback for the Lions. Um, but there are signs. I mean, the, the skill grouping, the skill group is is getting there, especially on the outside with Amon Ross St. Brown. Josh Reynolds isn't bad. Uh, DeAndre Swift looks like he's going to be very good for a long time. And the defense, you know, they can't stop anybody, but that line isn't terrible either. Uh, so, you know, we'll see with the lines. But here's the stat that I was going to say. That was his first road game victory. That was Dan Campbell's first road game victory. Can you believe that? That's crazy to me. I don't know. He's been, I guess he only has, what is it, six wins now? And since he's been 
with the Lions or something like that. So, I mean, I guess that's not necessarily too surprising. But, uh, I mean, first road game victory. That was surprising. He's been there for... Last year was, what, 17 games plus the 10 games that they've been there now, so 27 games, and that was his first road victory. That was kind of surprising to me. I was like, wow, none of the none of the six wins that he has in his career so far have been on the road. So there you go. That's a fun stat for you. And now, but now, now there is one. There you go. You go into Soldier Field and you get a win against Chicago Bears. Really, I mean, a decent win. That's a tough place to go into and win, especially as a team that plays in a, in a, in a dome. It's tough to go to Chicago and win a game like that, but... You know, hats off to Dan Campbell, hats off to the Lions, a comeback as well. Good game to watch, a fun game to watch. Their offense is fun to watch. I mean, really, it's, it's a pretty solid offensive scheme they have going. Uh, their defense just gets pummeled by basically anybody every week, essentially. So, you know, offense is there, defense clearly still has some things that needs to work out. Okay, moving on, the Dolphins, they beat the Browns this weekend. I think it was 39-17, to 39-17. Uh, Dolphins, when are we going to start talking about the Dolphins, ladies and gentlemen, they're seven and three on the season. The only three losses they have is because Tua went out with injury and Tua has been arguably the best quarterback in the league so far this year. 25 for 32 this week, uh, 285 yards, three touchdowns, highly efficient, putting balls in spots that weren't even, I don't think a lot of people thought were possible. They had the MVP chance raining down on Tua at home. And I think the Dolphins need to be taken a little bit more seriously. A very quiet seven and three team, in my opinion. Uh, I think they are probably... Well, first and foremost, they th- I, I personally, I think they have, even over Kansas City right now, I think they have the best offense in the AFC. I mean, now with Jeff Wilson Jr. there from San Francisco, Mike McDaniels has a guy that they can that he's worked with before from San Francisco. Mike McDaniel comes from San Francisco, uh, the 49ers, and if he's working with a guy like Jeff Wilson Jr., who is who knows the system that Mike McDaniel wants to run and is going to run the system that Mike McDaniel wants to run, I think that Jeff Wilson clearly is the better running back out of, I mean, Raheem Mostert's been pretty solid all year, but Jeff Wilson Jr. is going to run the way that Mike McDaniel is going to build the offense around them. And then you have guys like Tyreek and Jalen Waddle on the outside who are basically, I mean, they're essentially impossible to stop. Tyreek Hill is going to get open no matter what, just because of how quick and fast he is, not to mention he's built out of titanium. The dude never gets hurt, it seems like. It never seems like he's running to the sideline hurt or anything like that. Jalen Waddle also super fast. They're un- I mean, they're undefendable. If if Tua is making the correct throws, if he's hitting the correct routes, the the correct guys and strides, if Tua, if Tyreek and, and Jalen, if you have to double those guys all game, essentially, because... You can't put them in man. You cannot face those guys one on one. You're going to get blown by. Uh, it's impo- It's nearly impossible to stop. Uh, it's incredible to watch the the Dolphins. I think personally, personally, I think they are the best offense in the AFC right now. Over the Chiefs, over the Bills. I don't think there's a lot of teams that could beat the Dolphins right now uh, with their team running at full strength with Tua in at quarterback. I don't think there's a lot of teams that can beat them. Period. Uh, and I think they're probably, especially after the Bills loss this past weekend, I think they're probably the second best team in the AFC right now. You still got the the Ravens, obviously. I mean, that's not a terrible shout. Uh, if Lamar is cooking, if that offense is actually working the way it's intended to work, then obviously I think, um, I mean, that that's a tough that's a tough matchup for them as well. Bengals, can, you can throw in there, but without Jamar Chase, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I'd throw them in the same conversation. I mean, and then obviously the Bills, but the Bills clearly have some question marks they need to answer as well. And then the Chiefs, I think they're the best team in the AFC. Pretty much 
them number one. I don't think there's really a contest at this point. I think the Bills obviously were contesting the best team in the AFC early in the season, but now after the last few weeks, I think there is some issues that the Bills are kind of uh, teams are kind of feasting on the Bills' issues that they're that they're finding, and uh, the Bills have not had an answer for it yet. And I think the Dolphins. I mean, they're riding hot four games in a row since uh, since Tua came back. The only three losses they have on the season are when Tua was gone, and uh, I think that's. I mean, I think that's they're undefeated with Tua, and if Tua's there, I mean, they're they're clearly winning games, and he should be in the conversation for most valuable player, really, honestly. And then Tyree Kill at this point is essentially a a, a pen in for uh, an ink in, if you will, for uh, for offensive player of the year with how dominant he has been. So I, I just don't see a way, especially with the way now with Jeff Wilson Jr. and Raheem Mostert, if they're running the ball the way that they did. Against Cleveland, if they're running the ball like that for the rest of the season and into the playoffs, there's no shot. I mean, the Dolphins, they can maybe lose like a shootout or something like that. They are dealing with a lot of injuries uh, on the defensive side of the ball. But if they're if they're playing in a shootout, that's a way that they can lose that game. Obviously, they should have probably lost that game to the Bills earlier in the season when they just got dominated offensively. Um, but now they've you know picked it up. They've picked up a little bit of a, a stride going here. It looks like they know what they're wanting to do offensively. And uh, I mean, they look tough to beat, man. I, I, they are a very, very good very good uh, offensive team. Probably this is easily, I would say, the best Dolphins team we've seen in 25 years, probably, since the Chad Pennington days. And that was, I mean, barely a very good Dolphins team. They were winning a lot of games, you know, by single digits. This team is dominating uh, uh, opponents. So, I mean, I think it's safe to say the Dolphins are the second best team in the league. If they if they played the Chiefs on the road, um, I would still probably go Chiefs. I mean, it's hard to pick against Patrick Mahomes and that team uh, with what we've seen from them uh, the last few years. So I would still probably pick the Chiefs in that scenario. But I mean, the the Dolphins are they're they're nipping on the heels. I would say, and I mean, a Dolphins Chiefs that would be magical for the NFL. By the way, Dolphins Chiefs in and the divisional round, or I guess that would probably be the the conference championship game. Uh, Tyreek Hill going back to Kansas City for a revenge game or whatever that would be peak Hollywood. I mean, that would be, that would be perfect for the NFL. The NFL would be throwing money into the air with how much money they were going to make from that game. Uh, so that'd be interesting to say. I hope that happens. That'd be fun. That'd be fun to watch, but we still have to get through the rest of the season and Tua had a concussion issue. I mean, Tyree kills injury status cannot, I mean, he cannot be made of titanium bones for the rest of his life. So, I mean, uh, there's going to be injury concerns for both teams. So it's, it really is the NFL in all perspectives is really a a war of attrition i mean you can win this game lose a couple guys next week and it all goes it all goes awry i mean that's really kind of how the nfl and, and football in general works so we'll see what happens i i really do want to see that matchup in the playoffs so i think that would be a blast okay moving on here the colt or excuse me the steelers they beat the saints tj watt came back from uh from ir after i think he tore his pack if that's if i remember correctly he makes such an absurd difference compared to when the Steelers don't have him on defense, it is insane how much of a difference that defense looks. I mean, they're not world beaters or anything like that, but they are so much better with TJ Watt on the defensive line. It's crazy how much of a an impact he makes in terms of how much the offensive line has to pay attention to where he's at. Just the offense in general uh, on the of the opposing team has to pay attention to where TJ Watt is, and that really affects the game planning for every team that plays against the Steelers. They're just so much better with TJ Watt on the defensive end. They're not good. Like I said, they're not world beaters or anything. Their offense is still very questionable. Um, but I mean, they beat the saints. They, uh, they're both three and six or uh, Steelers are three and six saints are three and seven now. So it's not like, I, you know, I don't think they're going to be, you know, making a wild card run or anything like that, obviously, but 
it is it is a team you know if if you're uh, uh, needing to get a win to get into the playoffs or something like that uh, on one of these fringe teams trying to find a way in that is not necessarily a team that is bad quote unquote that I would want to play just because their defense can wreak havoc on uh, on any opposing offense that comes in that's not any honestly TJ Watt as a de- as a defender I think needs to start getting the same uh, recollection or um, consideration if you will as Aaron Donald, in my opinion, Aaron Donald, obviously, probably, almost certainly, the greatest, the greatest defensive tackle we've ever seen the play, we've ever seen play the game. But T.J. Watt, uh, equally, uh, he plays in a much more difficult position in terms of the greatness that's been there before the Lawrence Taylors and so on and so forth, uh, the Reggie Whites. You know, I, you know, he's never. It's going to be hard to match up with guys like that in terms of what they're both competing against in terms of sack value and pressures and stuff like that. Aaron Donald. Clearly the greatest of all time when it comes to um, that position and defensive tackle interior alignment. I think there's at this point, there's no contest uh, that Aaron Donald is probably the greatest of all time in the interior alignment. But TJ Watt, the way he affects the game on the outside as a, as a pass rusher on the outside, I think he deserves to have the same consideration for how good he is at his position as well. Uh, I think he's kind of a little overshadowed by Aaron Donald because of how good Aaron Donald is. And again, not taking anything away from Aaron Donald. I think he is the greatest of all time in the interior lineman section uh, in the interior defensive lineman. But outside, I think TJ Watt has a decent argument to be made. If, the, if he can keep this up, I mean, with how effective he has been, I, I would say he doesn't get nearly as much praise as J.J. Watt did his brother during the early parts of J.J. Watt's career before he, you know, injuries really kind of derailed what J.J. Watt uh, was slowly becoming. Um, but I think T.J. Watt, if he can continue on the pace that he's on without, you know, dealing with the injuries that J.J. Watt had or anything like that, I think he could be very much in the consideration for the greatest edge, edge defender of all time. And that would be interesting. That would be crazy to kind of have that recollection looking back and saying, being able to say we saw the greatest interior defensive lineman play of all time and possibly the greatest edge defender play of all time. That'll be, that'll be interesting. It's really the the prime of the NFL when you've got two of the greatest on the line uh, playing at the exact same time. But I mean, clearly TJ Watts got to stay healthy. He's got to play, you know, more than you, you can't be missing like six games out of the season. No fault of his own, obviously. But I mean, if you're the greatest of all time, there's a big gap there. That's something that people will take a look at. But no doubt with what he does on the field that he is one of the uh, best pass rushers in the game today for sure. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how far, how far he actually gets up the quote unquote goat ladder, if you will, um, on the edge rushing side by the time his uh, career is done. Cause I, I really think he is, he's up there with one of the best uh, ever. So we'll see. Okay. The Colts, they beat the Raiders just Saturday. Uh, uh man, I, I was bashing him last week. I still don't think he is the right answer. The the excuses or whatever the reasoning that Jim Ursay was giving after they hired Jeff Saturday was just like, what are you talking about, my man? Like, what are you talking about, my dude? Let's let's stop, okay? He was talking about how um he doesn't want anybody with coaching experience or anything like that. And I think there is like a decent argument to be made that a lot of the analysts or the former coaches or whatever are are kind of overreacting to how uh, he got the job. Like I understand you're angry because it's passing up the the coaching legion or whatever the the legion of coaches that kind of have been looking for this opportunity. There is an argument to be made for you know the difference of a Jeff Saturday getting a job um, off of the ESPN desk essentially versus an Eric Bieniemy who has been a mastermind in coaching uh, for uh, offensive coaching for the Chiefs. 
since Andy Reid got there, since Patrick Mahomes got there. I mean, he's been the mastermind. And then Jeff Saturday just comes in and is like, hey, <laughs> I talk a lot on ESPN. Guess what? I don't know if I'm going to be good at this or not. Give me the job, coach. Give me the job, GM. You know, it's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. So a guy like, there is something to be said, I think, for the racial aspect of it. I think there is an argument to be made there. Um, how hard and difficult it is for African-American coaches or coaches of of uh, different ethnicities to get jobs in that, in that league. Uh, and for Jeff Saturday to just slide right in there as an ESPN analyst, from an ESPN analyst, never has ever coached before in his entire life, never coached in, in, in college, never has coached in NFL. And then you got a guy like Deion Sanders, who's coaching, you know, D2 Jackson state or not D2, but FCS Jackson state or what have you. And, um, he's still not getting, or, you know, he still doesn't have the opportunity that Jeff Saturday does just walking in off the street, um, and taking the job for Jim Mercer over as an interim head coach. You know, it's just, it's, it's funny to me that that's kind of where we're at. And it's frustrating because I see a guy like Eric B and I'm like, why would you not want him as a head coach at this point? The guy has masterminded uh, fan, uh, unbelievable record-breaking offenses in Kansas City with Andy Reid. I mean, sure, you could make the argument that uh, it's really Andy Reid or what have you. Then it, just take the chance. Just jump out there, take the chance. It cannot be worse than having... I mean, granted, Jeff Saturday's won, he won the game on, on Sunday. He won a game on Sunday. I'll Sure, I'll give you that. But there's no reason to believe that Jeff Saturday is going to be any better at being an NFL head coach than Eric Bieniemy, who has shown you he can be a good coach. Period. Like, there's no reason to believe one over the other. It doesn't. It just doesn't make any sense. Um. So yeah, the Jeff Saturday win. I mean, he's one and zero. Whatever. Hurrah. Maybe he turns out to be good at this. Okay. But then that will create, in my opinion, a bad example for the rest of the league. You can't just go out. I mean, if Jeff Saturday turns out to be a good hire for the Colts, some way, somehow, or whatever. Uh, I think that would create a bad example for the rest of the league that you feel like you can just go and hire guys off the ESPN sports desk or whatever, you know, any sports sports analyst or what have you that used to be a football player and just expect good results, even though that's not necessarily the case whatsoever. I mean, Herm Edwards, prime example, guy that has been a coach before, goes to ESPN, gets hired from ESPN to be Arizona State head coach that was a complete disaster a complete disaster didn't even understand that he was breaking the rules while he was at arizona state uh ncaa violations while he was at arizona state and uh now here we are and he's going to be back at espn and probably if you, here's the thing if you want to be a future nfl head coach or any head coach of any kind nba nfl mlb whatever if you want to be a head coach in that league or a coach in that league or, or any of those leagues go to the go to espn do some analyst work for a little bit. Talk about it. Make it seem like you know about the game. Which, granted, Jeff Saturday knows about the game. Obviously, I'm not doubting that by any means. Uh, he knows the game. But, you know, talk about how you know the game, what's going on, and boom, you'll get a job offer like nothing because it's easy. Because it's easy to, not not the job itself is easy, but I'm saying it's easy for uh, GMs or what have you to look at ESPN, see the guy that they recognize giving them good analysis, quote unquote, and then just be like, oh, well, why isn't he a head coach? You know, it's, it makes the, the, the job search a lot easier uh, for a GM to just look at that and be like, oh, it's, there he is right there or an odor or what have you. There he is right there. There's our head coach. He's talking about it on ESPN. He, he seems to know what he's talking about. Bingo, bongo, bango. You're hired at, as the Colts head coach. I mean, granted, Jeff Saturday, clearly, he knows what he's talking about. He's friends with Jim Ursay, obviously. He's played football. He's one of the better centers in recent memory. Uh, but, you know, it's just kind of a slap in the face for the rest of the guys that have been working since uh, training camp. You know, other offensive coordinators, other coaches and stuff like that have been working since training camp uh, to get that job. Jeff Saturday to get that job over them, uh, even though they've really put in all the work. And Jeff Saturday's kind of just analyzed all the work. Now, granted, he made the right call 
Sam Ellinger was never going to be the answer at quarterback for them. They put in Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan led a game-winning drive in the in the final couple minutes. He had a 39-yard uh, run. Matt Ryan, yes, that dude, that dude that I didn't realize his legs could be used in a running motion. He did it, and he ran for 39 yards. That was incredible. Uh, he made the right call there. Jeff Saturday made the right call there, putting Matt Ryan back in, because there's no way you're winning any games with Sam Ellinger at quarterback in this league. I said last week, I said, that's probably the worst team in the NFL if Sam Ellinger is a quarterback, and um, they switched it over, and I think that's the right call, clearly, because they won, and they won the game. So, And the Raiders, woof. Oh boy, that's a bad team. They're they're I think they're slotted in for the second pick of the NFL draft. Josh McDaniels might be calling plays for the Patriots again by season's end because he has been truly not good for this team. I mean, you might as well I can't remember who the special teams coordinator was last year that took over for the Raiders, but man, I mean they look better. Rich Passaccia, that's his name. They I bring him back. I mean, what are we what are we doing here? Bring him back, okay? He was like a weird uh, not necessarily weird, but just like an, an interesting guy to have for that job. And it worked. I mean, they were relatively good, but they made the playoffs after a very tumultuous, a tumultuous, excuse me, tumultuous season under uh, John Gruden. That was a disaster. The stuff with Henry Ruggs that was going on at the same time. And then, and then Rich Bisaccia. I can't even, I don't know if that's his Bisaccia, Bisaccia. He's, I think he's Italian. So it's Bisaccia. We'll call him that. Bring him back. I'm doing the, I'm doing the chef's kiss motion in the air. Bring him back. Bring back Rich Bisaccia. And the weird thing is, you kind of became everybody's most hated franchise when that was going on with John Gruden, Henry Ruggs, uh, you know, killing people in his car accident. You kind of became a very hated franchise, if you will. Rich Bisaccia came in, kind of gave that lovable head coach kind of vibe, if you will. And uh, all of a sudden, it was kind of turning it around. You were kind of uh, the heart, the heartwarming team uh, under Rich Basaccia, just because you wanted to see Rich, head coach Rich, uh, win the game or win as interim head coach. I thought they should have kept him. I mean, Josh McDaniels as head coach has never really shown anything. I mean, they started undefeated with the Broncos back when uh, they had uh, Tim Tebow under the helm, but. I mean, he and then they went on to lose like what eight straight in a row, and then they missed the playoffs. But Rich Basaccia, not him, not him. He 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 came in unwavered, unwavered. He came in and led that team to a playoff loss, granted, but the playoffs nonetheless. Nearly beat the the super the team that would go on to the Super Bowl in the Bengals. Very nearly beat that team in that wild card game. So that's all I'm saying. He doesn't even, he's not even coach for the doesn't even coach for the Raiders anymore. He works with the Packers, but. If they could, I bet they would want to redo that right now anyways because it's not looking good, especially with the talent they have on the, I mean, their defensive line is very solid. Uh, Devonta Adams, arguably the best wide receiver in the league. Derek Carr is no slouch. I mean, he's a decent quarterback. He's, I'd say, probably on the same level as like as like Kirk Cousins, I would say, um, personally. But, you know, it's just not all, it's not coming together for the Raiders and uh, it's looking bad. It's looking bad for the Raiders. It's not going to be a good season. Uh, they're going to be, Top uh, top ten draft pick, I would say, by the season's end. If this, I mean, clearly, if this keeps going the way it's going right now, um, Packers beat the Cowboys. That was a big victory for the Cow or for the Packers. Aaron Rodgers looks like he had he finally had a a receiver to trust that he would like to that he'd like to throw into open areas of the field and in uh, Christian Watson. That was that was fun to watch. Uh, but I mean, Aaron Jones really kind of. Took over himself. I think Aaron Rodgers was 14 for 20 or something in this game. So it's not like it was, you know, a huge game for Aaron Rodgers, obviously making the big throws where he needed to at 14 points in the fourth quarter to come back. So 
a good game from Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Jones, though, I think this is kind of the offense you need to expect more if you're a Packers fan instead of Aaron Rodgers hucking it like 55 times a game, maybe 25 times a game, and Aaron Jones gets another 24 carries for 138 yards and a touchdown or something like that. I think that's the best outlook if you're a Giants fan, and then you end the season 500, a little below 500, something like that, or above 500, you know, game above 500. I think that's probably your best hope if you're a, if you're a Packers fan at this point because I don't think, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think it's going to, get a lot better. I mean, the Cowboys, I mean, neither one of these teams looked very good overall in this game by any means, I would say. I mean, it took the Packers a comeback, obviously, and uh, Rodgers finally trusting a wide receiver at this point and a wide receiver actually uh, catching the ball and scoring in the end zone, obviously. That that helped as well. Uh, and Christian Watson had a great game. He, he was fantastic for the Packers. He scored three times. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I don't know. We'll see. The, 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 bride, the Packers should be better than they are, and I think this could be one of those uh, games that they look back on, as, uh, back on that kind of fueled them to a better record or what have you, but, you know, I don't think they're even making the playoffs still. I think I still think they finished probably under 500, in my opinion, but we'll see. Depends. I mean, if, if they really want to win more than they're winning right now, obviously, which is, I mean, I just said the most obvious statement in the world. If they're going to win, I think you have to give Aaron Jones the ball more, and uh, you have to take the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands a little bit more, to be honest with you, because I don't think it's all... He can't do, in my opinion, from what we've seen so far, what he used to be able to do, which was throw the ball 50 times a game and kind of just drag your team to victory. He doesn't have the weapons anymore to do that. He doesn't... The Packers just don't have the weapons to do that anymore. But you do in the backfield, and Aaron Jones, he's a very solid running back. Lean on Aaron Jones a little bit more. That's what I would say if I was the Packers. Clearly it worked. 24 carries, 130 yards, and a touchdown, and a win. I mean, that's what I'd say if I was a Packers fan. That's what I'd want to see if I was a Packers fan. Uh, Okay, so finally, Vikings over the Bills. Not finally. I mean, this is finally on Sunday. Uh, Vikings over the Bills. Game of the year. Period. Cut and dry, plain and simple, game of the year. Best game I've seen in a long time. I'm not kidding when I say this. I'm a Vikings fan. I've been watching Vikings games for a long time. My favorite player, this is going to sound bad. Uh, I'm not necessarily a favorite player anymore, uh, but my favorite player growing up was Adrian Peterson. He went to Oklahoma. I'm a huge Oklahoma fan. He was, the, as a kid, I was growing up and, you know, I kind of saw him go from Oklahoma to the Minnesota Vikings and I just kind of followed him because I didn't necessarily have a pro football team when I was at that age. So he was my favorite player. And then obviously the whole scandal came down with his kids and stuff and obviously not really favorite player anymore, but uh, stayed with the Vikings. So I've stayed with the Vikings and big point is I've been watching Viking Vikings games for a very long time. Not a very long time, but a, a long time. Sure. I'll, a very long time makes it sound like I'm really old. It's been a long time. Okay. Not very long time. Um, I've been, I remember the Tavarius Jackson days. Like, that's what I'll say that, that, that was the, my first, uh, my first Chester Taylor, Tavarius Jackson in the backfield. Those were, the, those were my first, uh, entrances into, into, uh, Vikings football. And, uh, that was probably the win on Sunday was probably their best win since the Minneapolis miracle. I think I can say that pretty confidently. Um, 2017 Minneapolis miracle. Uh, that's probably the best win in the history of, that organization, I would say. Now, granted, we talk about the Minneapolis miracle. Don't like to talk about what happened afterwards, but you know the Eagles kind of stomped on us in the NFC Championship game, and then went on to beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. But Minneapolis miracle will always be remembered in Minnesota or whatever. And Vikings fans, they can always kind of pinpoint where they were when that happened. I can pinpoint where I was when that happened. Um, and I think this game that that's probably the best win in the history of that organization. This win. It's not as good. Clearly, it's a regular season game, obviously, but this is as good as since then. Um, since then, I don't think they've had a better win, and they've won in the playoffs since then, and I think the win against the Bills on Sunday is probably better than 
any win that they had. I think they played one time in the playoffs. They beat the Saints in the playoffs again, actually. I think it was a year after um, the Minneapolis Miracle. And I think the win against the Bills is better than that win. Just because, I mean, underdogs coming in. A lot of people kind of doubted the Vikings. I, rightfully so. They haven't won a game by more than double digits all season long. And they come in, absolutely grit one out with the Bills. Bills just, man, Bills have some... Big time question marks. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but the the Vikings, I mean, to to grit it out the way that they did, fourth and eighteen, Justin Jefferson makes arguably the greatest catch I have ever seen. Being able to come down one handed against a guy that had two hands on the ball and maintain possession, get a first down, and uh, essentially drive down the field. They they nearly lost it on that same drive. Kirk Cousins couldn't get into the end zone on a QB sneak, which was just. That was peak Kirk Cousins. I mean, if anybody's not going to be able to get in a QB sneak from about the half yard line in the NFL, Tom Brady can still do it with the best of them. Jacoby Brissett can do it with the best of them. Jacoby Brissett can do it with the best of them. And it was peak, peak Kirk Cousins that he couldn't like basically lean over, <laughs> just fall into the end zone to get a touchdown. I mean, that was, I, I thought we'd lost the game like that. And I was like, that's like that nothing sums up the Kirk Cousins the Kirk Cousins mantra more than if that was the way that they had lost that game. Just be inches, not even inches, centimeters, millimeters away from the end zone, and Kirk Cousins can't get it across the end zone to get the victory. That would have been just peak Kirk, peak, peak Kirk Cousins. But that's not what happened, okay? He didn't get it in the end zone. Josh Allen fumbles the snap like a big old loony, fumbles the snap. The You know, you always kind of have those moments in time where you're like, well, it would be crazy if he fumbled the snap here, or... Well, what if they do recover the onside kick or something like that? You know, like you're always, you're always kind of thinking like that in football, watching a football game, and it never really ever happens. Like it's a one percent chance that it'll happen. That one, I was thinking to myself, you know, oh, what if he falls in for a safety? You know, what if we do get him for a safety here? That would be good. We could go down. I think we'd be down by three at that point if we got him for a safety. I think they were up by five. Uh, and well, if he goes down for a safety, we get the ball back and we can go down, kick a field goal or something. It didn't even cross my mind. Didn't even cross my mind before that play happened that he would fumble it in the end zone, the Vikings recover. It didn't even cross my mind. And he hikes it. It looks like he's QB sneaking it, kind of. And then you kind of see him fall back towards the towards the camera. And you can see his number. And you're like, wait, where's the ball then? And then you see the Vikings players freaking out, saying it's a touchdown, that the Vikings recovered it. I was like, how did that just happen? How in God's name on a team, a Josh Allen of all people, on a team like that, does something that simple, a QB sneak, go that horribly wrong for the Bills. And clearly, I mean, the Vikings almost Vikings did it as well. I mean, they gave up, you know, I mean, Gabe Davis didn't make that catch on the, in, in the fourth quarter to get them into field goal range. I'll say that clearly, uh, but they still allowed the, the Bills to drive down there and get a field goal regardless. I mean, that was, you know, uh, don't play prevent defense, ladies and gentlemen, there's your prime example of that. Um, so, you know, the Vikings still kind of Vikings did a little bit, but they came back out in overtime, gritted their teeth, didn't get in the end zone. Once again, even though they were close enough to get into the end zone, I mean, they were right there, didn't get into the end zone, kicked the field goal. And then another pick by Josh Allen, Patrick Peterson of all people, of all people, Patrick Peterson, the guy that I think a lot of people wrote off as this old, old dude kind of hitching a ride with any team that he could find because he's kind of the old dude. He's, he's the vet playing, I mean, two picks in that game, two big picks in that game. And, um, I mean, he's been, he's been proving people wrong. Good for the Vikings, man. A good game. Good game for the Vikings. A great win. One of the best wins, like I said, one of the best wins that they've had in recent memory all the way up to the Minneapolis Miracle. I'll say that again. I think it's their best win uh, since the Minneapolis Miracle. Fantastic game. Kirk Cousins, 11 a.m., dude. I mean, I get it. 
He's a morning guy. He doesn't want to have to get up at, at night, go to work at night. He's he'll never be a night job guy. He'll always be working in the middle, in the morning, into the afternoon, and that's what he's doing. At 30 for 50, 357 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions, obviously, but those were bad. But did it where it counted. Didn't turn the ball over when uh, when it counted or when it, when he absolutely couldn't. Didn't turn the ball over. And, you know, it, I think the bigger thing was he was just kind of hucking it up to Justin Jefferson and letting Justin Jefferson do what he does. And that in like a ball, that, that in like a glass box is what I want the Vikings offense to be. I just want Justin Jefferson running a route and Kirk Cousins just throwing it up to him because I believe Justin Jefferson can come down with the ball in any situation. The guy had, according to Next Gen Stats, he had nine 50-50 balls caught yesterday and in the history and not yesterday Sunday excuse me in the history of the NFL no other player has ever had more than six and Jeff- Justin Jefferson had nine in that one game on Sunday incredible an incredible game from the Vikings from the players Justin Jefferson the the catch of all time and one of the greatest catches of all time uh, and then one of the great fumbles of all time that everybody will remember or worst fumbles of all time if you're a Bills fan uh, and it just had everything. It was fun to watch. It was a blast. What a game. What a fun game to watch. The Bills, though, let's talk about that for a second. They have some issues, man. They've got some issues that they need to work out. Uh, the red zone offense is not good. Uh, very disappointing red zone offense, especially with the guy. I mean, Josh Allen, of all people, should not have difficulty running a ball into the end zone. I'll get to that a little bit more, that that area of uh, him running the football in a, in a second. But, man, like they just and he's just been... Allen's been turning the ball over. He's kind of regressed a little bit towards more towards like first year Josh Allen, where he's just been way, I mean, trying to squeeze balls into places that nobody could squeeze them into. He's maybe a little bit overconfident right now. And uh, he's kind of regressed and he's just being overly aggressive and reckless with the football. And it's costing the bills games at this point. I mean, it really is. It's costing the bills games, but the red zone efficiency is really, really a head scratcher. I mean, they have been just not good in the red zone offensively uh, and you saw it in the game on Sunday they couldn't punch it in a couple times in the red zone and they had to settle for some field goals and stuff like that and um, they just struggled with that which is it's odd because a team as effective and good as the Bills you know the perennial up there with the Chiefs the perennial powerhouse now with Josh Allen a quarterback um, the team that's up there with the Chiefs the Super Bowl favorites if you will um, to have such a glaring issue on offense i think is 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 bad i mean clearly i mean it's not a good thing to have usually when you have these teams you kind of have to search for some of their issues that they have uh if you're a super bowl favorite or something like that even the vikings i mean they have their issues as well eight and one they're not i mean they haven't won a single game by more than double digits other than that game against uh the packers at the very beginning of the year but since then haven't won a single game in double digits they're they're not a team that can really go up very well they're a team that usually is somebody that likes to play from behind that's not a good recipe for the play or anything like that so even the vikings have issues like that even the eagles i mean we saw the other day eagles have an issue with that where they they really it seemed like in in that commander's game they did not have any idea how to play from behind i mean it looks like that's a team that really has to be playing from ahead in order to win games uh their rush defense was bad the eagles rush defense was bad uh they were getting pounded by brian robinson all game antonio gibson had a couple good a couple good runs as well and then terry mclaurin went off on uh, on the outside so i mean there are glaring mistakes for a lot of these teams but the bills as a team that's supposed to be up there with the chiefs where the chiefs it's harder to kind of find that issue that you can i mean you can pinpoint um maybe 
uh, outside, uh, you know, wide receiver depth and things like that are probably their biggest issue, but it's not as glaring as something that the Bills have in terms of their red zone inefficiencies. It's really a problem. I mean, it's a problem they're uh, clearly they're going to work on, obviously. And, you know, I have more faith, a lot of faith in in uh, Josh Allen, but it is interesting to see his injury report where his elbow has been hurting or something like that, you know, had an, a ligament issue in his elbow. And then all of a sudden now he's playing a lot more recklessly than he did before. It's interesting. It could be a, could be an arm issue or something like that. That's bothering him. That's making him, you know, throw bad passes. I mean, the interception to Patrick Pearson in the overtime period. I mean, that was a bad, that was just a bad pass. If you look at the, the sky cam or whatever angle of that, uh, that was just a really bad pass that, I mean, there was really nobody in the area that he was throwing it to. He basically hit uh, Patrick Pearson in stride and he was able to kind of kneel that out and win the game for the Vikings. So there's something going on on there with Josh Allen, I, you know, whether it be injury or just uh, a regression to first year, you know, just making the decisions that he did in the first year and McDermott has to like sit down and talk to him about it or something, you know, you know, whatever. I'm not a head coach, obviously I'm not, I don't know what to do in that situation, but clearly they would know about it. I mean, they know that something's going on and they're going to figure it out. Now it could be an injury problem. And if it's an injury problem, the bills fans hold your breath, obviously. Um, I mean, they, they're probably holding their breath right now just because the last two games have not looked very good for the Bills. I mean, the loss of the Jets and then obviously this loss to the, the loss of the Vikings as well. Um, so we'll see. I, I really don't know what to expect from the Bills going forward. If Allen is okay, if he is fine, it would almost be a little bit more worrying, to be honest with you. If it's really not his arm uh, giving him any issues or anything like that, that would almost be more worrying, to be honest, because then it's a regression back to first year and you have to mentally get that out of him. You know, you have to sit there and, and talk and, you know, show him what he's doing wrong. And we have to hope that you have to be able to hope that he is, you know, attaining that information and retaining it on the football field. And clearly he's done that before. He's already done that. I mean, the, the jump from one year one to year two was astronomical. So I, uh, you know, I, I think he's, I think he'll be okay. I, I, you know, I think the bills will be okay. Um, but, you know, they got to be able to fix their red zone inefficiencies and Josh Allen's got to be less reckless. And the other thing I was going to mention, He's got to learn how to slide, man. Uh, he the the way that he plays running the football, it is not it it does it does not age well. I mean, we saw Cam Newton running the way that he's at. Now, granted, Josh Allen, I mean, they had similar, they really do have similar builds and abilities. I think Josh Allen's a little bit better of a, a better thrower of the actual football, uh, but they both kind of had that similar, you know, I'm kind of invincible running style, you know, where they kind of just felt like they could run over anybody. And we saw that what happened to Cam Newton. He just kind of faded out of the league and if josh allen keeps running the way that he does which is a little reckless it really is reckless the way he runs um having no uh care or understanding for his body depending on the situation he he did slide a couple times when he had a guy like one-on-one a couple guys one-on-one with him then he would slide but there were only you know i think i could count one or two times in that game on sunday where he slid uh throughout the game and you know there was a couple times in overtime where he just seeked out contact and he's got to understand how important he is to that team. I think it's maybe a misunderstanding how important he is to that team. Like if he goes down that their season is over. I mean, they have case Keenum as a backup quarterback who I love chef's kiss to case Keenum, but he's not Josh Allen, obviously. And I think that he has to get a better understanding of how important he actually is to that team. Um, and you know, how you kind of feel invincible in that role, obviously as somebody, a football player, it's you against the world and you know, you've never, and Josh Allen's never really had to deal with an injury, a super bad injury like that lower body injury or anything like that. And, um, I think he maybe did his freshman year of college, if I remember right. And that was kind of the last time we saw any major injury news from 
uh, Josh Allen. And at this point, you know, if he's feeling invincible, but you're not, you know what I mean? You're, you're a very vulnerable position in football. And as a quarterback, you know, you're the most important person on that team. He's got to, he's got to be less reckless running the football. He's got to learn how to take the slides. He's got to be able to get down, you know, before getting hit too hard or something like that. It's just going to cause issues and it won't age well in this league. It will not age well in this league if he keeps playing the way he does in terms of running the football. Now, granted, he is a better thrower of the football than Cam Newton. I no doubt in my mind of that. But um, if you take that aspect and just put that aspect in front of him, no running of the football. Is that how he wants to play the rest? Is that still make him as dangerous as a quarterback? I don't know. And that's something for the experts to decide, I guess. And that's not necessarily me. But I think it is an interesting, uh, an interesting question to ask. Okay. That was football. I talked a little bit about the Commanders Eagles. That was going to be my last, uh, my last, uh, my last, my last segment for the NFL. But yeah, you know, Eagles undefeated no more. The 1972 Dolphins remain immortal for another season. Uh, it's interesting. I don't know if we'll ever see that 16 and 0 or undefeated season ever be broken, just because of how ran, especially now, how random football really is and how analyzed everything is like there really is more than ever you can find the minuscule detail minuscule details in football games or in football players or in football teams that you can kind of exploit to win football games i don't know i don't think it was really like that back then obviously in 1972 it was a little bit different so i i really don't know if i will ever see a, a completely undefeated from start to beginning uh undefeated season ever again i, I really believe that's the only record in in the sport that I think will stay the way it is forever. Cause I just don't, because of how focused, hyper-focused and analytically sound everybody is in finding the minute details against your opponent that can be exploited. I just don't, I, you know, I, I don't think it was like that back then. And I think now the reason it is like that or the, because it is like that, I don't think we'll see teams go 17 to know. And plus from a health standpoint, it's just not good. I mean, it's not a good idea to try to, you know, go 17 and 0, try your absolute hardest for 17 straight games, and then, you know, flunk out into the playoffs. We've seen teams do that before. Patriots, hello. Um, so, you know, I just don't think we'll ever see it. I don't think it'll, it'll ever be done in, in my lifetime, anyways, just because of how hyper analyzed and focused um, the analytics department in the NFL world is today. So, uh, yeah, that's the NFL. Commanders do it again. Taylor Heineke, Green Lizard. Oh, my God. Carson Wentz should never see the field in a Washington football ever again as long as Taylor Heineke is there. Keep the green lizard in. He just gives that team a better chance of winning a football game. I do not want to see Carson Wentz on the field for the Washington Commanders if Taylor Heineke is there. Do not. Ron Rivera, if you're listening to this, you're not. But if you are listening to this, don't put him in. Stop it. Keep Taylor Heineke. Okay, the green lizard, he's killing it. Team loves him clearly. Three and one with him as the starting quarterback. He's not great. Uh, granted, he's not the the best quarterback on that. I don't think he's talently a better quarterback than uh, than Carson Wentz or anything like that. But the team just plays better with him in the backfield. I can't explain it. I really don't know how to explain it. But he just they just play better with Taylor Heineke under center. I don't get it. But they're just better. They're just better with him under center on both sides of the football. Like it doesn't make any sense. They're better with him under center on defense as well. It doesn't make any sense. I don't get it, but he's the green lizard and we can't question the green lizard. Okay. He's just going to do his green lizard things and he's going to go win football games for you. That's what he does. And he did it again against the undefeated team. He, that's the second undefeated team he's beaten as a starting quarterback. He beat the, the Steelers 
couple seasons ago. It wasn't last year, two seasons ago, I think, or something like that, when they were 11 and 0. You can't do it. You can't teach what the lizard has, okay? You can't teach it. You can't teach what the lizard has. He's just good. He's he's just he's got that dog in him. You know what I mean? Okay, that's now officially that's done with NFL. We're done with NFL. Good week ten. I'm excited for week eleven. Okay, let's talk World Cup, ladies and gentlemen. We'll do this pretty quickly because we're running towards the end of the show. Um, World Cup time. It's nearly FIFA World Cup time. First one since 2018. Francia, France is the defending World Cup champion. They had they won with uh, Paul Pogba. Uh, Antoine Griezmann, young Kylian Mbappe. They were a very solid team back then. They beat uh, Croatia in the championship in the final, if I remember correctly. I think that's right. Yeah, uh, Luka Modric and, and Croatia in the World fi- the World Cup final. Um, France should still be a solid team. Croatia, maybe not as good, uh, but France should still be a solid team. There is a little bit of, uh, you know, some some other inner workings that aren't working out really you know team chemistry that sort of thing that has kind of uh dissipated a little bit on that france team uh, according to some sources so i don't know how good they're actually going to be this year but they're still talent wise one of the best teams uh come world cup time so uh defending champ possible defending world cup champion going for a two-peat in france has the talent to do it um but we'll see if they if they can if they can pull it out once again so uh here's your fifa FIFA rankings, your top five FIFA teams, FIFA, according to the FIFA world rankings, number five is England. Solid team. Very good. Uh, probably the best England team. Maybe not best since, I mean, their Euro team was very good. Uh, they were the runner up at Euro 2020. Uh, so it's possible they could come in and win it in 2022. Wouldn't be surprised. They have a couple age issues. I mean, Harry Kane, their striker, their lead striker, still getting a, he's not getting any younger. <laughs> let me try, let me put it that way. He's not he's not getting any younger, but still very very talented. Still got Raheem Sterling, uh, Mason Mount, Declan Rice. I mean, solid team. John Stones as well uh, on the back. So uh, in the in the uh, in in defense, if you will, Phil Foden as well. Rude uh, Jude uh, Bellingham plays in in Germany should be very good as well. I don't think he was on that Euros team, if I remember correctly. I don't think he was. So should be a very good team. Fifth best, according to FIFA, uh, the FIFA World Rankings. We'll see. Uh, I think they're probably the best in their division, for sure. Uh, even with the U.S., I get it. Totally understand. You know, I'm rooting against the U.S. there, but, I mean, you know, he's he's better than, they're, they're better, they're better than the U.S. Sorry, guys. I apologize. They are better than the U.S. Um, but, you know, I, I I won't say the U.S. can't get out of their out of their group either as like a runner-up or anything. Maybe shock the world. Man, that's going to be, it's going to be instant because they play each other. It's going to be Black Friday. It's on Black Friday, the matchup between USA and England. It's going to be Black Friday for sales, and it's going to be Black Friday for England because that's the day they lose in their 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 glorious game. They lose on their on in their glorious game to the US of A, and the USA takes over as the best team. Okay, that's when it's going to happen. I don't really, I don't actually, know. I mean, I don't know if I believe that England's definitely a better team from top to bottom. To be honest with you, but who knows? Soccer's weird. I mean, you really can just. Random, t- random game, random things can happen in soccer. We've seen it before. I mean, Croatia getting to the World Cup final in uh, 2018 was kind of random and weird, but there they were. World Cup final nearly won it as well. And uh, yeah, who knows? We'll see what happens. I, I hope the U.S. wins just because that'd be a blast. Just complete chaos if the U.S. can beat uh, England in that matchup. But England, you know, fifth ranked team in the FIFA World Rankings and probably a fair ranking. They're very good uh, and one of the best teams in the World Cup this year. Number four, France. We talked about them a little bit. Teams kind of seething a little bit. I mean, they're still kind of dealing with a couple, uh, you know, 
they're dealing with some internal issues, but it, not to mention they have some injury issues as well. They they're going to miss N'Golo Conte, their midfielder, their defensive midfielder, huge loss for them. One of the best, absolute best players in the world, and N'Golo Conte, and then Paul Pogba, who was there for their World Cup winning uh, team back in 2018, he's not going to be there either. Um, pretty big losses in the midfield, to be honest with you. N'Golo Conte, that's I mean that's a huge loss. N'Golo Conte is one of the best. Uh, one of the best midfielders in the world, and uh, that's a big loss for them. Their defenders, they got Rafael Varane. He plays for Manchester United. A couple other guys as well. Uh, up a Meccano, Diot up a Meccano, who plays for Bayern Munich. He's very solid. Theo Hernandez from AC Milan. I mean, they're a good team. Top to bottom, very solid team. Uh, Hugo Loris, very good as well as their goalkeeper. He's been there for God knows how long. God, he's been there for since I was born. It feels like Hugo Loris has been playing goalkeeper for them. Uh, and then up front, they still have Antoine Griezmann. Uh, Olivier Giroud is somehow coming back to play for the French team as well. He rather he's probably a better model, to be honest with you, than a striker. And that's not fair. I, I didn't mean to do that. That was just kind of a joke. You know what? Olivier Giroud, I love you. All right. I didn't mean that. Uh, then probably the best striker in the world, Kylian Mbappe, still coming back for uh, France as well. And then Karim Benzema just won the Ballon d'Or as one of the best strikers in the world. He's up front as well for uh, the for the French team. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of shuffle it all around. I wouldn't be surprised to see Kareem, like Kareem Benzema, if he starts in the starting 11 to see him maybe play uh, more of a center attacking mid role because Pogba's out, you know, more of a center forward, if you will, than have Mbappe still up front. Who knows? Possibly Griezmann as well, working as a center forward as well. I don't know. Who who knows what we'll see out of this team. But they should be, their midfield, their midfield is definitely, you know, beatable now with Angola Conte gone. And then uh, Pogba gone as well. So we'll see what France has done. But fourth rated team in the world, according to FIFA. Argentina, number three here. Uh, one of the best teams in the world, obviously, as well. Leo Messi, still on that Argentina team. Still kicking. Still one of the best players on planet Earth. Hasn't had a great season with PSG, but still one of the best players on planet Earth. And this is possibly his very last uh, World Cup. We'll see what he does. This is going to be, uh, honestly, probably one of the better teams he's brought into the World Cup uh, from top to bottom. They've always had uh, difficulties finding defenders because, I mean, essentially essentially, uh, Lionel Messi inspired an entire generation of Argentinians to become, you know, attackers. And it's been hard to find uh, defenders for them, but they got Nicolas Atamendi uh, in the back. Christian Romero is probably going to be their starting, uh, their starting, their two starting center backs if they go a 4-4-2 or something like that. But those will be the two guys in the back. They, like France, probably don't have the strongest midfield right now. Um, but their attacking is still very good. Obviously, Lionel Messi, Paulo Dybala should be very solid for this team. Should be. I mean, that's the big thing. Uh, he pushed for a, for uh, Roma, and then Angel Di Maria also has been for uh, been playing for Argentina. Feels like as long as Lionel Messi has, and we'll see if he can continue to be solid for them as well. But this is probably the best top to bottom team that Messi has had for Argentina, and this Argentinian team has had. I mean, FIFA ranking them as the third the third best team in the world is maybe a tad bit surprising, just because I always kind of thought Argentina as a couple pieces away, uh, you know, midfield wise, their defense, their, their center backs, and their defense is a lot better than they, and than they have been in recent years, but we'll see. I mean, you know, Messi's still going to Messi. He's going to do his thing. Uh, then we got, uh, number two here, Belgium, or excuse me, number, yeah, number two here, Belgium on the FIFA world ratings, uh, probably a little bit overrated. They still have arguably the best, attacking midfielder in the entire world and Kevin De Bruyne. And if you have that, then you can kind of do a lot of different things. And Kevin De Bruyne being as good as he is, he can kind of make a lot of people a lot better on any team than he's on. But this golden generation for Belgium soccer is really kind of fading out 
pretty quickly. They were the world number one between September 2018 to February 2021, as in the best team in the world, according to FIFA. Uh, They've been one of the dark horses to win the 2022 World Cup. They were third in 2018. uh, So they haven't been great in recent form either. So it's possible they underwhelm a little bit. But again, like I said, it is, you know, kind of a not a last hurrah, but time is running out for guys like uh, Thibaut Courtois, Jan Vertonghen, Kevin De Bruyne, like I said, Romelu Lukaku, uh, Eden Hazard. So they have one last shot, if you will. The golden generation, quote-unquote, for Belgium uh, will have one last shot. Uh, Thibaut Courtois is probably going to be their starting starting goalkeeper. Should be. Best goalkeeper that they have, for sure. It's going to be Toby, uh, Jan Vertonghen and Toby Alderweeld, I believe is how you say it. They're the most experienced guys in the back as defenders. They're going to be starting for sure. They have a plethora of midfielders that they can go to. Axel Witzel, Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Yuri Tielemans, I think is how you say it. Uh, Yannick Carrasco, Leonardo Trossard as well. I mean... They can go to a lot of different guys. Romelu Lukaku, the all-time goal scorer for them, will be up front. He's got 68 goals. Uh, he would have been a certainty uh, more often than not, but he is getting a little bit older. He's been battling some injury problems throughout the 2022-23 campaign as well. Uh, but he did get the nod to be on the squad. We'll see if he's actually the starting man up front. But, you know, all-time goal scorer, best striker Belgium's ever seen, arguably, uh, in, up front. And he should, if he's healthy, more than likely play Eden Hazard. He is going to be there regardless uh, of his form at Real Madrid. He'll be there, obviously, just because of how amazing he is as well. Uh, hasn't been great for Real Madrid, obviously, but still a very solid winger as well. We'll see. This team is really much. Uh, it's kind of a. It's kind of a dark horse to be honest. If they can all play together, play a lot better than they have in recent games, then they they can make a run for the World Cup. But if not, then they can be bounced from the group stage. To be honest with you, it really just depends on which Belgium team kind of shows up to. Uh, the World Cup. It really depends. Uh, They've been kind of all over the place the last few years uh, in 2018, then into 2020 for the Euros as well. They've kind of just been all over the place. So I don't know. We'll see what happens with Belgium. I kind of want them to be in there as well, just because of how, I mean, Kevin De Bruyne's tons of fun. He's a blast. He's a blast to watch play. Uh, Romelu Lukaku is a blast to watch play as well. So it'll be interesting to see what Belgium comes up with and how good they actually do come World Cup time. Uh, And the number one, the number one team in FIFA in the FIFA world in the FIFA rankings number one Brazil Brazil is the best team in the world according to multiple people I mean it's not just FIFA I think they're kind of the best top to bottom team to have in uh, that are playing in the World Cup right now I mean they're very good we we saw them lose what was that 2014 when they were hosting it that was a brutal loss when they lost Neymar uh, for the semifinal match against Germany and then Germany absolutely just dominated dominated the uh, the Brazil team, um, but different Brazil team, different different team for the most part. And I think uh, I think I think this is this should be the year for Brazil. They're very good and uh, top to bottom very good. They have two unreal talents at goalkeeper and Allison and Ederson, two fantastic fantastic goalkeepers. I mean, you could really pick either one and be happy with either pick. To be honest with you, they have no stoppage on options on defense. Thiago Silva still doing the dang thing. He's been on this club. It feels like for not club for this team forever. Uh, Marquinhos still doing the dang thing. Feels like he's been on this team forever as well. Danny Alves. Oh, oh. Danny Alves. He's 39 years old. He's going to play out wide as a right back or a left back. One of the two, uh, a fullback, if you will. Um, and I can't believe they picked him to be honest with you. 39 years old playing as a fullback is kind of absurd, but he made the cut. He's going to be on this team. They also have Eder Militao from Real Madrid, very solid defender as well. Uh, a lot of, a lot of players on this defensive unit for Brazil as well. Their midfielder, 
they got more strength and in, in depth in their midfield, arguably, than they even have in their uh, in, in their uh, defense. Casemiro's very good, plus for Manchester United. Fabinho, Liverpool standout. Fred, very good for Manchester United. Coutinho, Philip Coutinho got left out as well. The, the Liverpool midfielder got left out of the squad as well, which is a little bit of a surprise, but still solid midfield regardless. But it doesn't get any better than than their their talent up front. I mean, they, it really goes from top to bottom, solid, really solid to the best. I mean, they got Neymar up front. Obviously, he's going to be a winger, striker, one of the two. Uh, Viniscus Jr. is going to be very good up front. Gabriel Jesus, Rafinha, Anthony Ricarlson, the list just goes on and on and on. They have so much depth up front. It is absolutely absurd. Uh, they're going to be the best attacking front or should be the best attacking front in Qatar. Probably the best team top to bottom. They did. I mean, they didn't bring in Roberto Firmino, Philip Coutinho, like I said, but Roberto Firmino would have been more of an attacking midfield option as well or center forward type thing. Um, so this team's the best, uh, probably the best team in the, in the field, if you will. Uh, for the World Cup, it'll be interesting to see uh, if they can really live up to expectations because this isn't obviously the first time they've been the favorites to win the World Cup. They haven't lifted the coveted trophy since 2002, though, but they've had the talent to do so basically every year since, and they haven't been able to do it. So this should, I mean, as good of a year as any for Brazil, this is the year. Okay, let's take a look really quickly at the groupings. Group A, Qatar, the hosts, they're in Group A. Ecuador, Senegal, Netherlands, that should be too easy. Netherlands, Senegal, either two. I think probably Netherlands would, would is going to take that one uh, for the group as the winner. Could be Senegal, though. Senegal is very good. A very good. Uh, they won the Africa Cup of Nations as well here pretty recently. Um, Senegal did, so they're a very solid team, but I don't think anybody other than Senegal or the Netherlands. By the way, the two best teams in each group move on to the quarterfinal round, so that's what I'm saying. So Senegal could win it. The runner-up or whoever, probably more than likely Netherlands, will get to move on to the quarterfinal as well. Obviously, the seeding gets a little bit different once you, um, if you're a winner versus if you're a runner-up, obviously. So, uh, Group A, Senegal, Netherlands, easy picks, I think. And then Group B, England, Iran, USA, Wales. Uh, England should win that group, probably will win that group uh, in every every sense of the word they should win that group um by uh, not a landslide i can see them slipping up against the us possibly wales but they should win basically every game they play against iran usa and wales so they should move on as the winners usa can be the runner up i don't think that's a fair or too too crazy of an observation to see the usa be the runner up in this group i think they're better than iran they're close with wales but i think they're a little bit better than wales so i can see them moving through into uh, the quarterfinal from group b group c argentina saudi arabia mexico and poland argentina the clear favorite to win that group as well there's not really a huge group of death to be honest with you in this year's in this year's uh, groupings there's not like a big group of death that everybody kind of looks out for there's not really that this year in my opinion from what i'm looking at here this year's world cup but anyways group c i think argentina wins that one handily uh toss up maybe for the group runners up possibly mexico can do it but i think poland also has the ability to get past the first round especially with Lewandowski playing for uh the second for uh, poland as well Lewandowski, one of the best strikers in the world arguably one of the best strikers of all time so i could see them moving forward as well if Lewandowski just gets absolutely scorching hot i can see them moving forward as well but mexico probably the better team top to bottom it's just the the strike package that they have in poland with uh with robert Lewandowski up top i mean that kind of keeps you in any game um so we'll see what happens but i think mexico probably moves through but again if poland if uh if if Lewandowski gets hot then you know mums the word for mexico um but argentina should be the winner in that group no 
doubt. Uh, Group D, France, Australia, Denmark, Tunisia. Uh, France should win this one, should win this one as well. Um, But I wouldn't be surprised to see Denmark win it either. France, like I said, they've been struggling recently. They've had some, some, some problems in the locker room. Their injury concerns with N'Golo Kante, Paul Pogba are going to be out. Denmark is a solid team. They have Christian Eriksen back, who suffered that scary, scary incident at the Euros in 2020. He's back playing, and they've actually, Denmark's actually beaten France last time that they played each other. But I think, personally, France has just got too much talent to lose to Denmark on the biggest stage. I think France kind of wakes up once they get into the World Cup, get a, get a game or two under their belt, and I think they can I think they can beat uh, beat out Denmark in that in that grouping. And I think they move on as the winners of that, uh, of that group. So we'll see what happens there. But I think Denmark is the, the clear favorite to be runner up as well. I think Australia, Tunisia are probably not going to be anywhere near runners up in, in those groups. So I think France, Denmark move on. And then in group E, Spain, Costa Rica, Germany, Japan, again, two solid favorites, Spain and Germany, two classic teams, two Euro- European legends in terms of, in terms of countries of, of, of football, if you will, in Spain and Germany. Two teams that will move on. I think Spain probably... This one's a toss-up for who wins. I mean, honestly, Germany and Spain are probably as equal as it's going to get. Germany's maybe a little bit older, but I think Spain... Maybe the 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 less than ex, less experience on their team. They kind of got rid of their golden generation in terms of how the groups of players that they had for a long time in you know Iniesta and, and all the other guys that they had. Uh, Sergio Ramos for a lot of those. Sergio Ramos got left off the team. Iniesta retired obviously, and uh, they're kind of moving in a younger generation of talent for Spain. Um, so I think Spain could possibly Germany's still trying. I mean, they still have Thomas Muller coming back. They have a lot. I mean, they have Joshua Kimmich, who's not really that older generation, but he's one of the best midfielders in the world. It's really a toss up. I mean, these two teams are very similar in the ways that they in, in the ways that they're built. And I think this one's tough. I think Spain probably wins the group, but Germany gets through as well. Uh, I think both of these teams get through regardless. I don't think Costa Rica or Japan have any shot. This would probably be if you're Costa Rica, this is the group of death. I mean, clearly you're not beating Spain. You're not beating Costa. You're not beating Germany. This is probably, uh, this is probably the group of death. If you were to pick one, I would say probably group E is more than likely the group of death. Uh, group F Belgium, Canada, Morocco, Croatia, Croatia, the, the runners up in 2018's world cup. Um, I don't think they're as good. As they were those, what, four years ago, I guess now. Uh, Belgium, the clear favorite to win. I think they do win that group. But uh, a sneaky underdog here. The, a lot of people don't think pay attention to, especially the American crowd. Canada. Canada is a very solid, uh, you know, not as good as a lot of the European teams, but a very solid team in the football. They have one of the best defensive backs, defensive back fullbacks in uh, in the entire world in Alfonso Davies, one of the best players in the entire world in Alfonso Davies. He's their really their first true superstar um, that Canada has ever had, and I think he can, he, he plays a lot more of a, an, uh, an attacking fullback, if you will, left back or right back um, than he does with Bayern Munich, and I think he can kind of carry Canada to a quarterfinal appearance, and I think they do. I don't think they win. I you know I don't think they beat Belgium, but I think they should be able to beat Morocco. I think they should be able to beat Croatia, and I think they can move on, or at least draw with either of those teams. And I think they can move on to the uh, the quarterfinals with the team that they have as well. Uh, moving on to Group G: Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, Cameroon. This should be Brazil easy. I mean, no doubt they got a pretty, pretty, pretty nice draw. To be honest with you, uh, with their with their grouping, Serbia is probably the second best team. If not them, then it's Switzerland. I don't think Cameroon has a great shot in this, but I think Serbia or Switzerland is probably the runner-up, but they're clear, clear seconds to Brazil. Uh, they got a pretty, Brazil got a pretty nice drawing in Group G, to be honest with you, and uh, we'll see what happens, but I think Brazil, Brazil goes through easily. I'll go, I'll go Switzerland for 
the runner-up in that one. In the Group H, finally, Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, and the Korean Republic. Portugal, probably the favorite to move on here. Actually, maybe not Portugal. Uruguay, probably the favorite to move on here. Portugal still got Cristiano Ronaldo doing the dang thing, though, as well. Bruno Fernandes, uh, one of the best attacking midfielders. He plays for Manchester United as well. Uh, he, you know, That grouping is very good. Still a couple, uh, maybe a, some locker room issues going on with Cristiano Ronaldo. He's not been going, it's not been going very well at Manchester United, and a couple of those guys play for Manchester United, so... Butting of heads, if you will. Uruguay, a similar situation as like Spain. They're moving in an entire new generation. No Luis Suarez anymore. Uh, so new generation of players for Uruguay. We'll see how it works out for them, but they're still very talented as well. And then the Korean Republic. So I think I think Portugal probably wins this just off the back of, you know, I think Cristiano Ronaldo is still probably the best player in the world. And I think he could probably carry that team out of the out of the group. But whether it be a runner up or winning the group, um, I think South Korea has a decent chance of getting out of the group. I don't know how much further they'll get from that, but if they do get out of the group, they've got a decent team to do it. Or a decent, I won't say a decent team, but they got one of the best players in the world. Sun Hyun Min, one of the best players in the world, just goes by Sun. Fantastic player, fantastic dude, ton of fun to watch, and uh, he's the the hero of South Korea, the Korean Republic for this team and for a lot of soccer fans in South Korea. He's kind of been the the, the shining example of of who you want to be if you're a player off the field and a player on the field as a soccer player. And I think they, you know, I'd be I'll be rooting for South Korea just because of Sun. He is so much fun to watch. He's a blast. He's funny, and he just seems like a great dude overall. I'll be rooting for South Korea to get out of this group just so we could watch more uh, more Sun into the next quarterfinal round. So that's that's the group stage. I don't want to go through the whole World Cup, obviously. I think Brazil's probably going to win it all. I don't want to go through each matchup, obviously. Um, but I think Brazil's probably going to win it all. This is the year. They're too good, you know, too good top to bottom all the way through, as long as they don't get injured. You know, if they were on their way in 20, uh, 2014, I guess is what it was, 2014, well on their way. Neymar got hurt. They had some injuries and stuff like that that kind of derailed them. I think they were well on their way. And I think this is the year. I think this is the year they finally redeemed themselves. They finally do it, get their first uh, World Cup title since 2002. I think they could do it this year, and I think I think that's uh, I think that's my favorite. I mean, they're the favorites to win it, and they're the preseason, the pre-tournament pick to win it, and I think that's probably the right the uh, the right call. And I think it's the right call. I think Brazil's probably the best team, top to bottom, in the entire uh, World Cup bracket, if you will. Uh, United States, a quick preview of United States. I'll, I'll you know I'll, we'll talk about this. Best team they've had in years, really quickly. Uh, best team that they've had in years. They haven't played well recently, though. Uh, this is their, you know, their golden generation, if you will. Maybe a little bit young uh, for the U.S. They're still, maybe it feels like a couple, you know, next tournament away from being the golden, golden generation, if you will, of the guys that we all expected to see. Still pretty young for a lot of those guys. Um, but Christian Pulisic, he is Captain America. He's going to be the guy that they're going to lean on to try to get them goals and to win them games. And rightly so. Best player, I would say, probably that the U.S. has ever seen. If not ever, then easily since like Landon Donovan, best player I think, in my opinion, that the U.S. has ever had is uh, Christian Pulisic. So we'll see what they can do. I think they can get out of their group. I don't know how much further they can get out of their quarterfinal though. Uh, if they're runners up, then they have some some tough competition. Then they'll have they're going to have to play if they are the runner up. Um, whether it be Netherlands, Senegal, something like that. If they're the runner up in that situation, then they're they're going to be facing some tough competition in the quarterfinal. But I do think they can get out of Group B as a runner-up and make it to a quarterfinal. But I don't know how much further they're going to get than that. Uh, a quick dark horse that I think is possible going to win, uh, Netherlands. Netherlands is very good. They're coming out of the out of Group A with Senegal. I think if they win that, if they win that, uh, they win that group or 
whatever their runner up in that group. I still think they're a very solid squad. I think they can make it to the semifinal, if not the final in either side of the bracket. I think they're very good top to bottom. Maybe their strike force is not as good as some of the other teams in this, uh, in this competition, but their defense is incredible. Their defensive back, their defensive, uh, their defensive back line is very solid. Their midfield is very solid. They just have a couple, have to have a couple guys step up, up in the strike force that, uh, that they need to, they need to have step up, but they want to take that next, that next step as a world cup champion. And I think Netherlands as a door as a dark horse team can, uh, could possibly win this tournament as well. I would not be surprised to see them lifting the trophy either, but we'll see. We'll see. It's here. Ladies and gentlemen, the world cup is here. feels like it's been forever. There's a lot, there's a lot that's happened since 2018. Uh, and, um, we'll see what happens. I, I'm, I'm super excited. It's weird that it's happening in the middle of November and not in the middle of the summer. Uh, but it is Qatar and it's ungodly hot even now. And it's ungodly hot in the middle of the summer. They can't do it in the middle of the summer, obviously it's a little bit, you know, a little bit rigged, obviously, you know, there's a whole, we, we won't talk about that. And it is, you know, in terms of the drawing for Qatar being the site of the world cup, maybe a little bit rigged, maybe not the best choice in the world. Um, but that's a story for a different day. Nonetheless, it starts on Sunday. World cup starts on Sunday. Everybody cheer. First game is set for Sunday, next Sunday, this upcoming Sunday, if you will. Uh, it's Qatar taking on Ecuador. Starts at 9 a.m. So you can watch a little soccer at 9 a.m. and then get ready for some football. Uh, some football. You, you can watch some football at 9 a.m. and then watch some football, American football, come 11 a.m. Because it's Ecuador, Qatar. That'll be over an hour and a half. That's the great thing about soccer. It's essentially uh, 100 minutes or so uh, of football, and then you're done. Move on to. Uh, Move on to some uh, to some some American football at 11 a.m. and then we get the real stuff. That's the the opening game on Sunday, and then the real stuff begins on Monday, uh, the 21st, the day after uh, that this upcoming Sunday. So it's going to be a blast. America's first game is on Monday against uh, the United States. First game is on Monday against Wales. That's on Monday at noon. So everybody should be watching that at work. I believe that we will win. You know, the chant, get the chant going, get your jerseys, get your Pulisic jerseys, Captain America jerseys. It's time, ladies and gentlemen. We're the underdogs. America, the US of A, is underdogs in an international competition. The One of the only times we get to be underdogs in anything. So get up and cheer for your underdog soccer team and Christian Pulisic and the entire squad. Let's go. USA. I believe that we will win. Okay, that's going to wrap up the show. Thank you very much for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, big shout out to you guys. Thank you for last week's episode. Best, most listened to episode we've had so far. So a big shout out to you guys. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Uh, remember to leave a rating, follow the show on any of those pop, uh, those uh, Spotify, any of those podcast platforms. I really appreciate it. But for now, thank you very much for listening. I have been your host, James Timberlake, and this has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. Podcast.